0: the employment law show on global news radio
1: that is 100 percent correct employment law show john Scholes here along with uh, partner stan feintzelberg sam Firu, to mark an llp the most positively reviewed employment law firm in this country you can check it out and uh you know get back to me if that's not true but it is true we already checked it out so that'll save you some time uh phone lines already open as you know this is a live show on a uh Monday evening, your employment law questions, be it severance, are you a contractor, have you been laid off, have you got enough severance, have you been told to resign, anything under that, and of course, vaccine employment questions, do you got to get the vaccine, has it been mandated? those are murky waters and always questions about that. Stan is here to answer them and clear it up for you. Again, 416-870-6400 locally to call in after the show. Anytime. Want to reach Stan and his team? They are available. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. A few other things I want to send your way as well as far as websites are concerned, but we will get to those in due time. But we always start off with the week that was. My brother, how are you? at the Beginning of the week,
2: I'm doing great, John. How are you doing?
1: Excellent. Can't wait to uh, to dig in, man. What do you got for a week yeah. that was?
2: Well, I mean, it's the same, you know, as I did a couple of weeks ago. So I apologize for that. But there's really kind of only one topic going on mm-hmm. around uh, in employment law, and that's you know these vaccination policies that basically every employer seems to be introducing. And so I, I want to talk a little bit today, John, because I know we're often on the show speaking about things from the employee's perspective. Obviously, we're taking in callers and most of those people are just employees by nature. Uh, but, but too often, we're not talking about the employer's perspective. And I think that this is a really important issue to mm-hmm. talk about specifically from the employer's perspective, because there's no doubt that you know, from the, the conversations I've had that there is a ton of confusion, just about, you know, genuine confusion about what to do here. The government is changing their perspective, their advice, you know, monthly, if not weekly. And employers really just don't know what, what to do and, and all really are just trying to protect themselves and trying to protect employees in the workplace. So what a lot of them have simply fallen back on, thinking that it's the safest route to go, is to just institute a straight, very black and white mandatory vaccination policy, and giving employees the option of either having proof of vaccination by a certain date, or effectively being terminated for cause, or you know, a, as a certain workaround that they seem to perceive, putting people on a leave of absence. And just to be clear, John, putting someone on the leave of absence here is very likely going to be a constructive dismissal if these policies are invalidated. Uh, And so it doesn't necessarily protect employers the way that I think employers think it will. So, you know, I've talked to a, a number of people who have just given me, you know, stories that I think would really exemplify why this one size fits all policy that a lot of employers are really putting in place is just not the way to go from my perspective. You know, I've talked to, I've talked to people who I, I believe have real religious exemptions and I know that we've heard a lot of people say that and, mm-hmm. and there is, you know, a lot of people that are trying to use this. There, there's a lot of websites I've seen that have been set up for this purpose to guide people to as to what to say to get an exemption, but there are out there in the noise people with real religious exemptions i spoke to an individual who had children that were sent to a, uh, a religious school specifically because he objected to them getting a vaccine and he very likely likely has a strong case for a religious exemption yeah. you know i've also spoken to uh, i spoke to a person very recently in the healthcare industry who had had covid and was currently part of a study tracking antibodies to see the effects of anti of having COVID and immunity. And she can show with 100% certainty that she had 13 times the antibodies of someone who was double vaccinated at the six month mark. And yet this healthcare individual who works in healthcare who works for a hospital was denied an exemption from the vaccine, ironically enough, because she was told that there was simply not enough data to prove that having COVID creates immunity of any kind. Wow. And, and, on t- and beyond that, I mean, there are many people who have exclusively worked from home during COVID. And these people are also being asked and subject to these policies of getting a vaccine or being losing their job. And I think the obvious question any employer has to ask themselves when so in this particular scenario is what harm are they trying to avoid? What What is it that is mandating you to go and ensure this person who works exclusively from home doesn't see any other employees, has to go out and get the vaccine. So I just wanted to, to kind of end off with a couple of tips that, you know, I I wanted to leave employers with because I, I really believe that these mandatory vaccination policies are going to get a lot of employers in their end up in lawsuits. I mean, that's the reality. I've spoken to a number of people and I can already say that is the direction that many people are choosing to go. That, rightly or wrongly, they are choosing to forego the vaccine. In lieu, in lieu of you know, essentially keeping their jobs and willing to walk away from that to to essentially sue their employer based on whatever you know belief system that they hold. So, in terms of employers, again, I really want to tell them to not just have a black and white mandatory vaccination policy.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, there
2: there are alternatives that you can offer. One of which is just allowing people to work from home, especially if they're already working from home. But another and much more you know, obvious alternative is, is testing, and if you provide and to provide testing to employees, and, and I know a lot of employers are using the, the presumption or the excuse that well it's very expensive, we can't afford that burden, and I'm, I've seen numerous federal and provincial programs, including private public initiatives, in which P- businesses can apply to receive free testing. So there there are other options available. Beyond that, just consider the personal circumstances of the individual, including the examples I I was speaking about, John. It doesn't fit, you know, again, even if you want to institute this kind of policy, there could be an exemption to the hard and fast rule. And you have to consider every person's individual circumstances before sort of just deciding, this is what we're gonna do. And then, and just lastly, you know, I really don't get the sense that a lot of employers are considering the, the impact of these policies, because I'm not sure that they really think that a lot of people are going to walk away from their jobs over this. And I, I can assure employers out there that there are, in i I think something like five percent of the workforce that is going to leave their their job over this policy and take legal action against you. So, and especially at a time when many sectors are experiencing labor shortages, you know, if you're one of those sectors, you really need to consider. The impact of these policies. You
1: know, it's it's interesting too that uh, of late, I know we get a lot of phone calls uh, during this show, the Wednesday show, and the weekend show as well. People calling in. I mean, they're still asking, you know, about the uh, you know the vaccine. Do I have to take it if it's mandated by my workplace? But now it's blossomed into, do I have to take the test? I don't want to take the test because I'm not a you know I'm I, I don't want to take the vaccine, but I also don't want to take the test. Is there any? wiggle room as far as that's concerned with either the employee or the employer, the testing, not so much the vaccine.
2: You know, outside of a caveat, you know, that there there are personal circumstances I can't necessarily predict, Mm -hmm. but generally speaking, uh, I think that if an employer is offering you the option of either having the vaccine, improve the vaccination, or offering you a regime of testing, then you're going to have to subject yourself to one of those two. And it may, again, There may be exceptions, but certain level of restriction is going to be allowed. I mean, the Ontario Human Rights Commission recently came out and basically said that this type of testing and request even to know your vaccination status is not in and of itself a human rights violation. And and so that array should tell people which way the winds are kind of blowing here, because a lot of this is going to be based on, you know, rightly or wrongly, public opinion. And public opinion is very much in favor of these vaccinations and and vaccination policies. Whether they're in favor of mandatory vaccination policies, I'm not sure if that's really what a majority of uh, of Ontarians believe. But nevertheless, they're going to expect some sort of restrictions on personal liberties and freedoms here for the greater good. At least a majority of people do. And this to me is a sensible alternative that allows you to keep your job and not necessarily have to subject yourself to the vaccine. 416-870-6400.
1: 416-870-6400. You have questions about uh, vaccine at work. You know, that's a number you want to call right now and uh, talk to Stan. He's got the answers for you. You can email as well, help at employmentlawyer.ca, which is where we're going to concentrate much of the show on. We've got to get to some of our inboxes. They keep coming in and coming in and, and coming in. So we'll get to uh, get to Tony right now, right? since he says, hey, Stan, uh, having had received a recent severance, would I be able to apply for EI without any penalties or clawbacks? We've had that question before. What do you think?
2: Well, and I mean, there has been a lot of confusion around this recently as well, John, because the rules around EI have again changed. You know, in the in the normal course, they were there was always the rule you could not collect severance and EI at the same time. What would happen is if you got a severance EI, your uh, your employer yourself would have to let EI know, and they would calculate. Uh, how, much, you know, how many weeks that severance represents and then tell you when you become eligible for EI. Uh, then, you know, last September, the government actually suspended that obligation and basically said, no, you can collect both. As of September 25th, that is no longer the case again. So we're back to the default rule of you cannot have severance and EI at the same time. Uh, if you do get severance, you will have to let EI know your employer will And then your eligibility will be essentially delayed. That doesn't mean you lose it. Keep in mind, you know, once your severance runs out, that's when you can start collecting and you still have the same amount of eligibility, whether that's 40 weeks, 45 weeks, 52 weeks uh, as you would in any other case. It's just it's going to be delayed.
1: And with that, we will get to uh, a short break and get right back into it. Give you time to grab a phone here. It's uh, 718, so still lots of time to go on the Monday night edition of the Employment Law Show. Want to reach out to Stan? You can do so. Ask your questions now, 416-870-6400. We'll go to uh, help at employmentlawyer.ca in just a bit as well. They've helped thousands of Canadians across this country get the compensation they deserve. Reach out to Stan Samfiru to Market LLP as the firm and employmentlawyer.ca is the website as well. We'll continue Employment Law Show Monday Night Edition right here, Global News Radio.
2: back to the Employment Law Show on Global
0: News Radio.
1: 721. Yeah, welcome back. Stan Fengelberg is your guy tonight to answer all of your questions here live on air. Get some answers. It's probably a really simple thing to clear up, but unless you have Stan's knowledge of employment law, it may baffle you for time to come. So don't sit back and let that happen. Call us, 416-870-6400. We'll get to more email as well, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And when the show is not on air any other time, reaching out to Stan and his uh, very capable team, 1-855-821-5900. Stan, let's move on to, uh, to Rebecca's email. It says, guys, my employer is forcing us to either get vaccinated or do testing twice a week, or we will be terminated. I do not want to do either, as I feel this is a breach of my privacy. Is this legal? There you go.
2: Yeah. As I was saying earlier, Rebecca, I mean, I I think there has to be some compromise here. And I think that the the reasonable compromise on both sides is to offer the option of either vaccination or testing. So, you know, you're going to have to choose one from my perspective, I'm not saying, I mean, ultimately you can choose neither. And I think you would be in a situation where they, the company would very likely have cause to let you go. Uh, But if you want to keep your job, you're likely going to have to choose one of those two options.
1: And that's just about as simple as it is. So you want to uh, reach out afterwards, you can. Uh, By the way, Rebecca, gonna move down to Trina. Thank you, Trina so much for writing in says, I'm a Jehovah's witness and employer won't recognize my religious exemption to taking the vaccine. Is there anything I can do?
2: Well, that you know, again, if this is one of those situations where you do have a real, and su- substantive, sincerely held belief, um, you can. Ap- there's absolutely something you can do. I mean, you can apply to the Human Rights Tribunal, because that's likely going to be a human rights violation, you know. Again, this is all novel, and we're not entirely certain how the tribunal is going to deal with these particular ins- issues. As they, you know, they've already come out and said, as I said earlier, that generally speaking, they're not uh, in requiring someone to take a test is not a human rights violation. Right. But of course, all of these matters are based on the actual facts of your situation. And with an individual, especially like an, an individual who happens to be a Jehovah's Witness like Trina, they're likely going to have a very strong case for a religious exemption.
1: Would it help her or anybody else uh, under the same situation to get a letter from their uh, priest, rabbi, minister, imam, whoever it is, would that help as well?
2: Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I mean, it certainly could help. Ultimately though, this is about being able to show an employer and show a tribunal if it comes to it, that the beliefs that you hold are sincerely helped. You know, they, this isn't something that has just come about recently, a recent revelation that that you can prove that you've, you you sincerely have an objection based on whatever religious beliefs you're you're asserting so if that you know if you have an, a, a spiritual leader who who would be writing who would be willing to write something like that on your behalf and also to speak on your behalf how you know you how your religious beliefs interact with these particular policies i certainly think that would be helpful
1: Benji, you're up next. Again, it's help at employmentlawyer.ca. But on the phone lines here, you want to call in and talk to us. We'd love to talk to you, 416-870-6400. Benji says, uh, Stan, I feel like my company is trying to force me out of my job and get me to resign. What should I do?
2: Well, Benji, I mean, the first thing you should do is call us. And if you're writing this email, you're likely already know that because you got to discuss what are they actually forcing you to do and whether it amounts to a constructive dismissal. But if ultimately, if they are trying to force you to resign, you know, that is effectively what a constructive dismissal represents. So that's, you know, the toxic work environment branch mm-hmm. of the constructive dismissal and why it was specifically put in place by the courts to ensure that employers couldn't terminate employees by another means. So again, I mean, Benji, you should contact us and have a discussion with a lawyer about the particular circumstances of your situation and discuss what can be done and whether it is a a constructive dismissal.
1: Well, I mean, you know, this whole concept of resignation and being told or forced a resignation, a forced resignation by your employer is not a resignation at all. Is it not something you need to do uh, personally, voluntarily, unilaterally? I can't say, Stan, I'm your boss. Uh, You're going to have your resignation on my desk tomorrow at 9 a.m. Well, that, in essence, is not a resignation.
2: That's a termination, no? Oh, absolutely, John. I mean, resignation is only something that someone can choose to do. Um, that doesn't, you know, keep in mind, that doesn't mean you have to actually say the words I'm resigning or I quit or any variation mm-hmm. of that. Uh, the circumstances themselves can indicate to a court that you have in fact intended to resign, notwithstanding you perhaps not saying those words. For example, let's say you just left your job and didn't tell anyone went on a trip for five weeks. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's very likely that a court would de- be, would determine that you were intending to abandon your employment at that point. Uh, So again, you don't have to use the words, but you certainly can't be forced to resign either. And and so often the case I actually see employers giving employees this option of either, well, you can do X or or you can resign or you can tell us you're resigning. Well, you're not resigning. I mean, again, they're forcing you into an option and you don't frankly have to choose either A or B in that situation. You can choose neither and uh, whatever comes can be a constructive dismissal.
1: Let me, let me ask you this. I, I, I'm trying to think as you were saying that. I mean, the, the one situation, and I hope it's rare with people out there because we trust most people wouldn't do this, but I, I'm thinking the one situation where if you're told to resign, you might want to heed the advice is maybe you've been caught stealing or doing something that would jeopardize your job anyway, so... They're giving you the option as opposed to getting charged or having further, you know, further actions taken against you. Look, if you resign tomorrow, we'll sweep this under the carpet. You know what I mean? Would, would that be something where you might consider resigning if you've done something
2: that heinous in the workplace? Well, it wouldn't necessarily give you the protections that you're thinking about, though, John, mm. because just, I mean, ultimately what's, what you're talking about is an agreement with your employer to to not prosecute, to not move forward, just right. to let things, you know, to essentially end the relationship and, and that's it. Um, your employer always, I mean, a criminal act is a criminal act and they can always go ahead and talk, uh, talk to the police and have you charged for a criminal act. Uh, unless, of course, you, well, even if you've got a release, you can't release an empl- employer or you can't, you can't, you can only have a release as it relates to a civil court case or liability. Criminal, uh, criminal cases, again, are not bl- brought by the employer, by brought right. by the crown. So, you know, it's not going to give you that protection, but ultimately you may want to consider if you can just reasonably uh, deal with the person that you're talking to, to your employer and come to that agreement and just let everything, you know, lie.
1: It is uh, 729, so you still got some time. It's a quiet Monday. Uh, Don't be bashful. Pick up a phone, call us, ask a question about uh, your job, maybe for the benefit of someone else who doesn't want to go on air, 416-870-6400 is the way to do that. In the meantime, lots of emails to get through, so there's definitely no shortage of those. Uh, Ram Sammy is up next, says, "Uh, guys, my contract says I had promised a bonus based on personal goals. I got one every year for the last seven years, but my boss says the company can't afford a bonus this year. I looked at my numbers and they're the same as always. Can they just take my bonus away like that?
2: Well, Sammy, I mean, firstly, you have to be able to show that this is actually an integral part of your compensation. And that's usually the first analysis to determine whether somebody's entitled to this bonus. You know, certainly the fact that it's based on specific metrics and personal metrics makes it clear that it's not discretionary it's not up to the employer ultimately you know there is a clear metric and once you meet that metric you are entitled to what the contract provides for that that being said in this particular instance again it would depend on whether how big the bonus is because even Mm. even if you've met the metrics it may not be an integral or or fundamental part of your compensation if it's only you know two to three percent uh it's not likely going to. indicate enough of a reduction in compensation to constitute a constructive dismissal. Usually, as we say, you know, as long as if the reduction in income and we, regardless of how you determine that income, whether you call it wages, bonus, car allowance, uh, mm-hmm. travel allowance, whatever you want to call it. At the end of the day, a dollar is always worth a dollar. Right. And if, if we're talking about a reduction anywhere in the range of 10% plus, then we're in the range where the courts have indicated to to us that that is essentially a constructive dismissal and you do not have to accept that and you can choose to walk away and treat it as a termination.
1: Ram, Sammy, if you want to reach out further, obviously you've got the email address, but here's, uh, here's some more info for you. one 821 to reach out. You also have the option of pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. If uh, you can't uh, get some time or in between hours where you, you can't get a hold of Stan on the phone or you're busy, you can use this on your smartphone, your tablet, your desktop, even pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. A ton of topics there, which cover a lot of what we, uh, talk about on the show. And as well, the severance pay calculator is there if you need it or if you're just curious about what your severance should and could be if it ever came down the pipe that you were let go. Again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But the phone calls are coming in, 416-870-6400. We'll get to those momentary, uh, momentarily. Ilya's is up next, says, what do you do if you have problems with your manager at work?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, the, fir- the first thing you should do is speak to HR because that really is – the purpose of the human resources department is to deal with interpersonal issues between employees. Granted, oftentimes, you know, HR, when we're talking about small companies, they don't really have an HR department. And in which case you should talk to whoever the boss is or whoever the owner is, just make it clear to somebody in a position of authority what's going on and give them the opportunity to address the issues. Now, if they fail to address the issues, that's when you can take external steps. You know, whether that be speaking to a lawyer about what what's going on, whether it amounts to a constructive dismissal, uh, whether that be speaking to the Ministry of Labor and even filing a, com- a complaint and a harassment complaint under the mm-hmm. Occupational Health and Safety Act. Whether, again, if you may even want to consider talking to a doctor to see if, you know, this, the issues that you're having are causing you mental issues as well and potentially go on a disability leave. So you have multiple options, Elliot, but it always starts with John ultimately speaking to the the person of authority, the owner, of the HR department, and making them aware of the situation.
1: Okay, let me let me pick it out there then. What if the person mm-hmm. say, for, you know, for uh, for for lack of another term, your boss, your, your your direct manager, the one you report to, or should be reporting to about these hassles. What if they're the person doing it, and there's nobody above them? You know, the top dog is the one yeah. who's draying on you. What do you do then? Contact Stan? I guess so, right?
2: Well, I mean, then you can just skip kind of step one and move right to yep. the external sources, because obviously yep. step one's is not going to go anywhere. And, and more, even more, uh, kind of another scenario that I often encounter, John, is that you know when dealing with people who are family where the owner, it's not the owner, but right. the owner's brother, the owner. And, and, you know, a lot of people are very hesitant to go to the owner when they know that it's you're complaining about their family. Yeah. Because oftentimes, incorrectly, that they're worried about, well, you know, they're just going to make it more difficult for me because they're not going to choose me over their family at the end of the day. And, 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 I, and I understand that situation. I mean, again, you may still want to go that route just to – show that you have to paper it over even if you're even if you want to go the legal route you still want to show that you've made that attempt because at the end of the day the corporation is different than you know john smith and you have to treat them differently to some extent Mm -hmm. as well
1: yeah good old-fashioned workplace nepotism can be a lot of a lot of fun hey hey glenn how are you thanks for standing by good evening
0: hi how are you
1: good sir what's up
0: I'm just going to go on. Um, been with the company 49 years. Large retail wow. uh, company. Uh, ang- I've had anxiety disorder for all my life. Had art heart bypass 17 years ago. Uh, anxiety increased after that bypass. Uh, went, uh, after that, and then I went on long. Went to um, work accommodations. 40 hours mm-hmm. a week afternoons. Uh, five years the company. Uh, uh, That that lasted for five years. Then the company did not like this kind of setup and came to me and said, "Uh, uh, we need you to start working days. And I said, no, I can't do that. And with my doctor's support, they said, no, he has to stay in the same accommodations. So what happened was um, uh, they sent me to the company doctor, and the company doctor even supported me staying on the afternoons 40 hours a week. So when the management realized that they were going to get what they wanted, they started increasing my work shifts, like, uh, duties of mm-hmm. work and, um, uh, basically started to a point of discipline. So, uh, uh what do you call them? Uh, the performance reviews, performance, yeah. uh, and performance improvement. So they kept the, Plans, they, did that, yeah. they did that a couple of times
2: mm-hmm.
0: and my stress level was just getting up so high with my doctors. I just went off sick. And then I went on long term dis- i went on disability then went on long term disability uh, mm-hmm. with them fighting it all the way um, and I stayed on on that until I was sixty five My insurance just ended at sixty five um, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot of them do from what I understand um, but my I want to go back to work um and my doctors will support that, but obviously I'm not going to have the same job as I had before. Um, and
2: um, I just so know there's saying, any reason. Go ahead. So you're saying you, do, you wanted to get back to, to work and your doctors are supporting your return to work? Yeah. They so, will support my return to work. Well, ultimately, I mean, the first step there in terms of returning to work is just getting the restrictions and limitations as to what accommodation you need uh, from your doctor. So it
0: would be the same accommodations, afternoons, 40 hours a week. Nothing has ever changed in that.
2: Well, ultimately, so just tell them that. Start by telling your employer that. You know, again, they have to, especially if you're talking about a large retailer, you know, it's certainly the, very likely they could and yeah. they will legally have to accommodate you to the point of undue hardship. And yeah. so, so, I mean, to the extent that, you know, if if they can't, I, I find that high, likely very tenuous and dubious. If you're saying it's a large retailer, if all your accommodation requires is just getting the afternoon shift. Now, if they continue to harass you and to try to make your life difficult to keep, you know, essentially keep forcing you into disability leaves and time off work. Well, that's exactly what John and I were just talking about a minute ago, which is a forced resignation. And and again, they they can't do that. That is a constructive dismissal. And they're essentially creating a toxic work environment for you.
0: So in this position I'm in now, they're hoping I'm wanting to retire. But I'm saying, no, I don't want to retire. I want to come back to work course into the the laws because i've gone past the two-year uh, doing your own occupation portion of it yes. not disability for four or five years uh and okay. i was again too on cpp disability as well i got recognized by that that then they oh. started slowing up with the harassments to me okay when that happened
2: Well, again, I mean, they can't force you to retire, Uh, as long as you provide them with the medical note saying, yes, I'm ready to come back to work, here are my restrictions, let's have a discussion about a return to work plan, you know, they're going to have to engage with you whether they want to or not. Okay.
0: So there's no implication, me being off for the disability for the five years, and them coming back to me and saying, well, why were you off? Actually, that was brought up, well, you're already off, you said you're on permanent disability. Well, my disability is a permanent disability,
2: but... Yeah, and that that permanent disability is a legal, you know, classification, usually an insurance classification for the purposes of of a policy. It doesn't mean you're disabled for life, and that's what it means for the purposes, again, of the long-term disability policy. Uh, And realistically, I mean, if you were off for five years, there was probably a point somewhere in there when the employer could have said, look, you've been off uh, for so long, Uh, this employment relation and it's not reasonably foreseeable that you'll return to work so the employment relationship is medically frustrated but if they haven't taken that position and you currently are able to come back to work certainly they can can no longer take that position uh and they have to take you back
0: in one of my meetings they did bring that up as a threat
2: it's too late well it's too late you're right you can't it can't be medically frustrated when your doctors are saying you're going you're ready to come back to work
1: Glenn, I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm just to say, I'm going to get Glenn to call you later on, and it may, it, it sounds like based on the five years and, and what he's dealing with the LTD and CPP, he may have a uh, disability question in there as well, which you can also reach out, uh, Glenn. Same firm, just down the hall, Savan and his crew, uh, 1-855-821-5900. I'm sure if Glenn said how old he was, but I mean, most disability policies end at the age of 65. So yeah. I don't know if he's near that, but uh, he should reach out to both you, Stan, and then I know you'll flip him over to Savannah and his crew on the Disability Law Show to uh, take care of that because there is so much crossover between employment law and disability law all the time. That's why you guys, the firm smartly, can handle both in uh, in one building. Still got some time for a, a couple calls or so. Going to get to uh, Tony. Hi, Tony. Good evening.
0: Hi. Good evening. Um, my question is my spouse has uh, been off work due to a, a work-related injury. And so she's been mm-hmm. paid through WSIP for mm-hmm. the last two years. Now, she was informed that uh, due to her injury, they do not have uh, placement for her. Uh, basically stuff that she can actually do physically yep. so they're going to dismiss her basically the company's walking away because they have up until two years and then they can let her go is she entitled to severance through the company now
2: well she would have the ability to say that if it's a medically related frustration again frustration of contract our statute actually does provide her with the ability to get her minimum entitlements um, she wouldn't be entitled to anything beyond that, and the reality is that if she's on WSIB, WSIB is just going to continue paying her moving forward. So to the extent that she would have any entitlements, they would just be offset with the WSIB. But the minimum entitlements that that cannot uh, happen for her minimum entitlements. So I, I don't know how many years she's worked there, but again, it's generally one week per year, up to a maximum of eight weeks of termination pay. And then, if they have a payroll of over $2.5 million and she's been there for more than five years, then it's a yep. further one week per year for a maximum of 26 weeks of severance pay.
0: Okay, she's been there for 15 years. So, okay. Yep. So, they. And-
2: as, okay. as long as it's a large company, and you know, a payroll of $2.5 million is basically 50 people making $50,000. Oh, so if yeah. they're a relative, reasonably large company, or middle, even a middle-of-the-road company, they'd likely qu- meet that sort of criteria, and she, uh, based on her 15 years, she should be getting 23 weeks of pay. 23 weeks
0: of pay. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, thank you for, uh, for answering my question.
1: Appreciate your time. Thank you, Tony, as well. you have any other questions for Stan, feel free to reach out. Don't, uh, don't hesitate. not hesitate. 821 5900 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. I want to get to another email or two before we, uh, before we wrap. Uh, Lavi says, I get commissions on sales and my company is tra- changing the structure, which looks like it will result in a huge decrease in income. What are my options?
2: Wow. You know, going back to what I, uh, I had said to Ram Sammy earlier, which is ultimately it's not about what you classify the money as. A dollar is always worth a dollar. Mm-hmm. And if they're, you know, changing the structure to effectively de- depress your income, you know, which we essentially means increase their profits. Yes. That's a constructive dismissal as long as it meets that general 10% threshold. And you, you do not have to accept that levy. You can absolutely move forward and call us, and we can and proceed on the basis that that is a constructive dismissal, and you are entitled to your severance.
1: Fang writes in with a kind of a basic one, which is nice. It's good to cover these once in a while. <laughs> says uh, Fang says, "I've been terminated, and the company is offering me one week for each year I was there. Is that fair?"
2: With you know very few exceptions, I would say that's likely you know very low. Uh, yeah. One week per year is somebody's minimum entitlements in most cases. Uh, the general rule of thumb is about a month per year as a, as a measuring stick. And from there, it can increase substantially, can potentially decrease depending on the years, the position, the age, et cetera. But no, Fang, definitely one week per year would be on the much lower end of what you can hope to achieve. And you should definitely give us a call uh, and, and discuss what it is you're being offered.
1: Let's uh, wrap it up with Taylor's email again, help at employmentlawyer.ca anytime, not just during uh, during the hour of the show. Of course, Taylor says, if I'm in a mutually consensual relationship with my colleague at work, can I be terminated for cause by the company?
2: Well, it, firstly, I would say it depends on what the dynamic of this particular relationship is. You know, For example, if we're talking about two people who are working you know, in a giant company that are miles apart, different department, no dotted line connections between them, no reporting uh, connections, it's very likely fine to have that relationship and it's not in any way gonna impact your work and certainly can't amount to cause. Now, if you're in a situation where you are having a consensual relationship, but with a direct subordinate, with a person that you have power over, then even in the context of having a mutually consensual relationship, it's, you know nowadays it's just not not something that really companies will allow or I think courts will allow. You know the perspective has changed, the landscape has changed, and what's acceptable in the workplace that is seemingly no longer acceptable. And for, for obvious reasons, that's been abused, and the people in power have abused that position. Uh, and so realistically, yes, I think in that situation you could be terminated for cause, even if it's a consensual relationship.
1: Taylor, appreciate the reach out, and uh, we're going to wrap it there for the evening. Back here Wednesday night. In the meantime, reaching out, real simple, to Stan and his crew, Sanfiru, to Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land, 1-855-821-5900, help and You also got the website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca for you to use for knowledge as well. We'll catch you Wednesday, but go nowhere. Stick around. On point with our good pal, Alex Pearson, is coming right back on Global News Radio. We'll i right